Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. There can be many challenges associated with starting clinical trials. These can include, but are not limited to, ensuring diversity, site selection, regulatory barriers, and patient retention. And with rare diseases, finding enough people or the right people to participate in clinical trials can also be a big challenge. So how can companies overcome clinical trial issues? Well, today, we're going to chat with a serial entrepreneur and executive mentor who is addressing these clinical trial challenges and concerns. Welcome back to the Collective Voice of Health IT. I'm Michael McNutt, Weedy's Director of Education and Events. For nearly 30 years, Weedy has been an instrumental force in igniting public-private partnerships to empower meaningful changes for the American healthcare system. Recognized and trusted as a formal advisor to the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Weedy is the leading authority on the use of health IT to efficiently and effectively improve health information exchange, enhance care quality, and reduce costs. With a focus on advancing standards for electronic administrative transactions and promoting data privacy and security, Weedy has been instrumental in aligning the industry in an effort to harmonize administrative and clinical data. Learn more about our association at wedi.org. Today, we speak with Scott Gray, CEO of ClinCierge, an internationally operating service that reduces barriers related to the communications, travel, lodging, logistics, and financial challenges that patients face in clinical trial participation, thus enhancing patient enrollment and reducing dropouts. Scott is an acknowledged leader and innovator in the world of medical meetings, patient-centric clinical trial support, and healthcare transportation. He co-founded Gray Consulting International in 1994, serving as CEO. In 2013, while hearing of patients' challenges with the logistics of participating in global clinical trials, the ClinCierge concept was born. In 2015, ClinCierge began providing patient concierge services to improve patient centricity and increase diversity in clinical trials. Scott, welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT. Thank you, Michael. A pleasure to be with you today. Great. No, Great to have you. I'm going to learn a lot today. I'm excited. Um, we always start with our guests with their origin story. Um, let, let me know about your motivations, inspirations, and aspirations. I'm very interested because as a meeting professional for over 25 years, you come from a meeting production background. So I'd love to see how how was that able to transform into what you're doing now at Clincierge? So thank you very much for the, the kindness of just saying over 25 years. Um, I've, um, I, uh, I thought I was going to be a doctor when I was in high school. So interestingly, I took the business path and ended up doing corporate meetings and events management, mostly for pharmaceutical companies for most of my career. So ended up connected um, in a way to the healthcare area and was fascinated by the way pharma operated and conducted all sorts or organized all sorts of meetings from all the the physician education programs that happened in the 90s and 2000s and the sales rep training and incentive travel programs that they did and also the the executive conferences for the leaderships leadership in pharma so got to hear a lot of what was going on and it was, uh, as you mentioned, about 10 years ago that one of our biotech customers for whom we were organizing their investigator meetings for a U.S. Uh, operating rare disease trial asked if we could create a service to help them gather the patients together 
for this trial that was expanding to 18 countries outside the U.S. With rare disease patients not proximal to where they live, that was the question that led to us creating the Clincier service. That's fantastic. Now, regarding Clincierge, walk us through a little bit of what Clincierge does. So our, our real objective is to remove the obstacles that can be in the way of patients participating in clinical trials. So thinking of all of the socioeconomic and geographic barriers that may be in place, um, there are m- many candidates for clinical trials who are not wealthy white guys, which has been traditionally the population of clinical trials, but they deserve an opportunity and should be included in the uh, conduct of clinical trials. So how do you get rid of those barriers? And that's what we, that's what we focus on doing. We work out the puzzle of, of what the obstacles are and do our best to remove them. The sponsor builds us in to the operate their budget and to the operation of the budget of the clinical trial so that the funds come from the sponsor for us to enable to remove those barriers, such as logistics. If the patient lives in Pittsburgh and the trial is in Minneapolis, getting the patient to the site routinely. Do they have to overnight? Um, We do take patients cross-border to other countries where they may not speak the language. So providing translation services or interpretation services and again, housing and all of that along the way. That's incredible because we've had guests on previously talking about clinical trials, but never about kind of the lift involved that, you know, families, individuals, children have to kind of put themselves through um, right. in order to get these clinical trials. Um, so it, it's a fantastic idea, a concept. And I'm really, you know, happy to have you on to talk about it. Now, regarding those barriers, now we're going to talk about, you know, clinical trials when it comes to diversity and ethnicity. Um, you know, last year I, I interviewed Kendall Whitlock uh, previously of um, MedTech Color Collaborative, and now she's a digital optimization clinical trials lead with Walgreens. And that's really been her thing for years, uh, is the idea of increasing the amount of minorities in clinical trials in order to get that representation. You know, in order to, to further this discussion, let the audience know the importance and, and the reality in terms of, you know, the like what does it look like from a racial breakdown uh, regarding clinical trials and why is it important to have more representation? It's not just a nice thing to do. It's a necessary thing to do. Yeah, it is a necessary thing to do. So let's start with that. So understanding the individual patient populations, cultural, and then the genetic nuances is so very essential for the successful clinical trial outcomes. We want to make sure that all the different genetic makeups that comprise us, human beings, are included when a product is being tested so that we know the efficacy on that population if it's being prescribed to them when it comes to market. And the only way to know that is by making sure that they're included and represented in the clinical trial. And then we look at what the history has been. Historically, 60 to 70% of clinical trial participants have been white males because they could afford the cost of travel and the time off work needed to participate. Um, African-Americans comprise only 13.4% of the population, 
well, they comprise 13.4, but only 5% of the clinical trial participants. The disparity is even worse in Hispanic or the Latino population in, in a little bit more than 18% of the population, but only 1% of trial participants. And with Asian Americans, it's as 6% of the population, but again, only 1% in clinical trials. Wow. Um, and two thirds of trials are absent any Native American participation. Mm, yeah. That, that's that's really eye-opening and, and really just interesting that for such a long time, you talk about the history, it's been 60 to 70% white males. Um, how We think that healthcare is evolving and moving at such a great pace, but we have a lot of catching up to do when it comes to all these years of these drugs being manufactured, pretty much being genetically coded yep. for white males. Right. So, so then there's a confusion as to, you know, if, if I had to take this drug and it's not working for me, it's like, well, you know, like, so, so I wonder recently, you know, past decade or so, genomics has been really big in healthcare. And I think that kind of opened the doors to this kind of revisiting a lot of what we're doing. And we were talking about last, uh, yesterday at our conference, baking in health equity at everything you do. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. if you baked in health equity into clinical trials 40, 50 years ago, Maybe we'd be in a better place in terms of some of the advancements of some of the drugs. Well, and there's a there's an interesting study. Um, um, I, I like to uh, read some of the things that that the Tufts Center for the Study of Drug Development produces in their clinical mm-hmm. uh, applied clinical trials newsletter. And there's a study that was that they've done recently uh, was just published in 2020 that shows that. The volunteer participation addressing racial ethnic representation is influenced by the diversity of the site itself, mm-hmm. which is really fascinating. And some some um, uh, roundtables that I sat on for several years uh, with um, the SCRS, the Society for Clinical Research Sites, in some of their diversity uh panels that I've sat on, it was interesting listening to the sites that they're expected to drive diversity, but they are small sites in a population, in a neighborhood that isn't diverse. So they get patients that are common to their geography. Mm -hmm. They can't, they're struggling to drive diversity. So this is where I believe the oversight group of the trial needs to figure out how to drive the diversity by where they're enabling sites so that they can extract populations from their ge- geography or especially with, with rare disease and actually with rare disease it's easier because we're already baking in the support services to move the patients around yeah no i think uh, the the idea of social determinants of health data um has been useful for so many branches of healthcare, and I think pharma could take advantage of understanding where particular populations are based off the SDOH data. What are the particular needs they need? You know, in addition, so that's where clinicians could come up. Like, oh, there's an area here that's for some reason or another high breast cancer, but right. there's a lack of transportation in this area. Mm-hmm. So, so turning that around and, and working with the community-based organizations and organizations like Clinciers can only be a positive. The more data that an organization can pull from a given population, the better understanding they have of that community. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about, um, you know, diversity and bringing, bringing folks in, um, there's always, and I think you mentioned it previously 
you mentioned a, a sentence and, and I thought immediately of health literacy and just understanding your health, uh, not only health literacy, but communication and biggest word trust. So, yeah. so let, let's, let's talk about the matter of trust. Um, you know, when it comes to data exchange, it, it's pair and providers trusting each other in terms of, you know, data exchange. But when it comes to the patient and the provider or the pharma, um, there's a level of trust that needs to be there where, as you said, 60 to 70% in the past in the history of, uh, of healthcare has been white males. So as a, you know, African American or a Hispanic female, the level of trust that I would have when approached with a clinical trial, when the faces may be on the brochure or the faces that I see across the screen aren't mine has to be somewhat jarring. So, so let's talk about the idea of trust and how we all need to kind of build that trust in order for these populations to trust healthcare. Cause there's been throughout history, a hesitancy amongst minority populations when it comes to healthcare. Very true. And um, I'll step back a little bit on <clears throat> to our back to the, the origin story of doing corporate meetings and events around the globe. So we're, we're in the hospitality space. That's where that industry would be considered. And our focus was what is the meeting delegate, the meeting attendees experience going to be from the time they leave their home till they arrive at the destination airport, they get to the conference center, the hotel, check in, the food and beverage, the conference room set up, all of that that's happening. So our focus was on making sure that the experience was, was good. Mm -hmm. We're not influencing the content. So think about the content being the clinical trial. We're not influencing the content of what they're learning. It's all can, that other we stuff. Can, we can influence what's everything that's around it. Mm -hmm. And that's really the, the founding principles and how we approach the Clincierge patient support services. So from a trust building perspective, if we were running a conference in Brussels, I made sure that we had multilingual staff on site because Brussels was probably going to be an international conference of delegates coming from around the globe to that one location. So made sure that I had staff that was multilingual that could easily converse with whoever was represented in the attendees, attendee um, population. The way we've structured the Clincierge service is that the patients who reside in Spain have a coordinator who resides in Spain, who speaks their language, is culturally aligned to them, is time zone aligned to them. So the patients begin recognizing our Clincierge coordinator as a trusted friend, colleague, mm -hmm. who is now removing all of these participation barriers and coordinating all of the logistics to go to that site. Oh, I have to go to London every 21 days for three days for this particular site, for this particular treatment, trial regimen. And my coordinator in Spain has my back all the way. Mm -hmm. No, that's fantastic. And that's, that's what is needed to have that familiarity Correct. of having an individual that uh, maybe is um, part of the community racially, visually, I, I'm right. more, I feel a little more comfortable. Um, so, so that I like that because one thing, you know, we've all been told through the meeting planning process is eliminate the noise. So right. when they come into the 
conference room, the ballroom, it's it's that experience. So you're you're creating a pre-event experience, a post-event experience, because you're maintaining, like you said, you're not influencing the content. That's a separate experience, but that's taking care of itself. But you're taking care of all the other things, ancillary and reducing the noise so the experience can be that much better. Now that we're talking about experience, let's talk about patient experience. And that's really a big focus for us at Weedy. Um, it seems lately with regulations and emerging technology innovation um, that healthcare is becoming more patient centric. Yes. Uh, that, you know, the, the ability for a patient to have at the, at the touch of their hand, all their healthcare information and the ability to seek out businesses, providers and organizations like Clinciers to help them out. Um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you kind of see the tea leaves and you might have a couple of years ago noticed like, hey, you know, things are moving toward more the patient focused healthcare. Um, how do you see uh, that evolving? How do you see healthcare evolving from a patient's perspective? We're all patients. How that is going to evolve? And what do you see as the benefits and challenges of this kind of new patient centered economy? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. I mean, we've been in this for for 10 years and there's been some great evolution happening. And, you know, there, there are times when I say, oh, finally. Um, mm -hmm. So finally, the patient is considered at the center of this and the recognition that, oh, the patient is, is another human being is at the center of this and they deserve the respect and the access to what's happening to them, what's happening as they volunteer their bodies for the clinical trial. And my, my hope is that with the access to this data, that they'll be able to maintain connection with the trial that they rolled out of a year ago, mm -hmm. that there's some way that they can maintain a connection and they can, they can see the value of what their volunteer, what their their uh, contribution was when they participated in the trial that they can see that going forward um, and how they're helping others. So that would be one aspect. Um, the, 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 the ability perhaps to increased ability to find out about the trials where there may be an opportunity for them to be enrolled. That I think would, is really a good um benefit to the expansion of the use of technology in the space and the access to health data. Um, the risk I see as, as with everything that we do that is technology-based is the inadvertent release of PII that may cause challenges along the way. Um, and the other, the other that I see is making sure that we don't forget the population that is not technology enabled. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. That's where the technology cannot go faster than our desire to use it. Um, so we have to continue mm -hmm. to communicate and educate folks about the technology. And still healthcare is one of those unusual kind of industries where you know commerce is, I can buy anything I want off my phone. Mm -hmm. um, Restaurants. I don't even have to go to a restaurant anymore. I could just DoorDash. But healthcare, as much as it wants to evolve with technology, it's still a tactile. It's still a visual. I need to see my doctor. I need to have that connection and be in that in that 
dentist, that doctor's office, as much as the smell is weird and so antiseptic, but it's one of those last kind of like meeting planning. Yes. Virtual meeting planning was the thing for, you know, the during the pandemic, even before that, I remember I was doing, you know, online college fairs 15, 20 years ago, because that was going to be the new thing. But meeting planning, as you know, we still want to be in front of someone. We still want to be in that hotel, in that conference center. Well, interesting. I was at a conference earlier this week. It was the opening session on Monday, and it was uh, Ken Getz of Tufts who was presenting. And he presented a study on change. And one of the, the more startling things that we saw was that And the the topic on this instance was, um, on this particular slide, was decentralized clinical trials. That pre-pandemic, there was a certain percentage of DCT home visits, in-home visits. And I think that, if I'm recalling correctly, that number was 37%. During the pandemic, yes, it jumped up, where patients weren't going to the site. Rather, healthcare workers were going to their homes to do the visit. However, post-pandemic, it's actually below pre-pandemic levels. Mm. And what they're hearing um, is that the patients want to get out of their homes. Yeah. They, they just want, they want the social interaction. They want to go to the site for this, for the, the, for the, that particular visit. Yeah. It's still the experience. We're still human beings. Yes. And, right. and while we might not always now shake hands, <laughs> we, we are still human beings and we still love that ability to be in front of someone and, and kind mm-hmm. of experience that all together. So technology is fantastic, but, you know, there's still that that tactile, that physical, that proximity that that we need here. Um, Scott Gray, CEO of Clincierge. Um, how can folks learn more about you, Clincierge, or, or anything else? Do you have uh, any resources you'd like to, uh, you know, forward to our folks? Yeah, I would en- I would encourage them to go to our website, which is Clincierge, C-L-I-N-C-I-E-R-G-E dot com, and go to the resources area and look up our Voice of the Patient study, download the ebook, mm-hmm. and learn more about what patients think about their experiences in clinical trials. That's excellent. Excellent. I will definitely check that out. Um, Scott Gray, once again, Clincierge, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, It's been great to talk to a fellow meeting planner. (laughs) A pleasure, Michael. Thank you. No problem. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the healthcare IT community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find all our episodes as well as information on our association on our website, wedi.org. Thank you for joining us and be safe.